Good afternoon. So uh, exciting to be here this, mo- this afternoon and, um, and to preach at a, at, a, at a stage that I've been, I've been a child back in that part and kid builders, all that before it was kid builders, it was just a closet or whatever, but it was just really exciting <laughs> to be here and to, to do this, um, not because it's exciting to speak, but it's exciting to see what God does in someone's life. So for a moment, I get to see outside of my own life and, and look at the process uh, of how to grow a young man, how to grow a champion for Christ. So I'm thankful to my father, Pastor Brett, my family, everybody who's um, created this village by God's grace to raise me. So we're going to get right into the scriptures, First, Corinth, uh, First Kings 19. <clears throat> just turn to First Kings 19. While you're turning there, I just want to share the importance of core values Discipleship is one of our core values, and, and the reason why discipleship is one of our core values is because we want to build people. We don't just want to have people in the church just to come, just to serve. We want to grow leaders, people that will change the world. We know that Pastor Brett can't do it alone. Our leadership can't do it alone. Our staff can't do it alone. So our desire is to do discipleship through small groups, through one-on-one, taking, the, taking people through the purple book and, and allowing people to serve in the ministry. This is exciting for us to live in this time where we get to see the fruit of discipleship and not just believe and trust. Oh, God, I know one day you're going to raise up some of these kids. We actually get to see it. Miata Jones, Stephen Law, David Hermes, we're living in this time. It's a really, really great thing. And on that same note, I was in uh, Phoenix uh, two weeks ago, we were doing a missions trip. Pastor Demo, Daryl Morrison, he's planted a church there. These men have been discipled and been pushed out to different churches, to, to lead different churches, to plant different churches. That is the discipleship model. I was so encouraged while I was out there, but it was 100 degrees. It was hot. Though I was encouraged, we went out on this hike, and I was discouraged for a moment, thinking, how will people ever come to church? I don't want to go outside my door. When I'm out here in Phoenix, and I was looking at cacti while we were out there. It's beautiful. They've got it in different colors, and it's just amazing. And, and I was talking to a guy who's kind of sharing with us, um, you know, the, the lay of the land. And I said, how in the world do these things survive out here? He said, well, there's two things. There's, there's stems. Uh, first, there's stems. Those are, those are on the inside, and there's spines on the outside. And he said, the stems retain water. And their, their roots go far and deep into the ground. And then the spines, basically they're a smaller surface area so the water doesn't seep out of the cactus. They also protect them from animals trying to eat them. And for a moment I, I realized that we're like a cactus. The living water is on the inside of us. And those stems are what allow us to keep getting the nu- nutrients that we need. Those stems are what you call the Holy Spirit. And as we continue to get that nutrients, we're made better and we can survive through all of the things that go on in our lives. And then on the same note, those spines, not only do the spines, they're very small, so they help you retain the water so that you can have more water and have it longer so you won't run out, but also they, they attack the enemy. That animal comes in and tries to eat that plant and he gets stabbed. That's the sword of the, Lord, of the word of God. So if we can become like, like cacti 
and we can retain the living water, we might be the disciples that God has called us to be. John 7, 38 says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I want to be discipled into that. Let's read the passage, 1 Kings 19 through 21. So he departed from there and found Elisha. This is Elijah departing. The son of Safat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th, and Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. Verse 20, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? 21, so he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Father God, help us this morning, this afternoon, Lord, to get into your word and to get something from it. Lord, allow your word to become flesh in our lives. Lord, that we would not only read about discipleship, but that we would become disciples and we would make disciples. In your precious name, amen. So here in the passage, Elijah is going in search for Elisha because God spoke to him on Mount Sinai. We're going to get into that in a little bit, but the importance of this is knowing that that Elijah was on a mission. The reason why he was on a mission is because his time in ministry was coming to an end. Not his faith, but his time, his position. And he was to find someone, a successor, a successor, someone to take the baton and keep running with it. How many of you guys know that we don't just build for ourselves? The reason why I'm so excited about our stand campaign is because we're building something up for the next generation, something that some of us will never see. But from glory to glory, the kingdom will be advanced in this city and beyond. You're not building just for you. You don't go to Bible study just for you. You don't join a small group just for you. You don't have kids just for you. Oh, I really want to have kids. No, you're having kids because you're making disciples. Listen, you got to make disciples any way you can. (laughs) That's how we do here. (laughs) I got a third on the way. Praise the Lord. This was during the time of the Northern Kingdom, they had the worst kings. And as time went on, the kings got worse. The prophets were great, though. There was a horrible problem with idolatry. And there was a line in the sand between the God that we know to be the true God and Baal. All that being said, Elijah was the man. We're keying in on, on, verse, on chapter 19. But Elijah had done many works, many miracles. People knew about this guy. And he was able to demonstrate the power of God to speak on God's behalf for all of the nation and for nations to come. He was amazing. Chapters 18 and 19 tell us about his greatest miracle. Though he performed many, there was no rain for three and a half years. And he said it would rain when he said so. He knew his God and he could speak for his God. There was a great showdown that took place. Between him, just one man, and 450 so-called prophets of Baal. In this showdown, you see Elijah call them out and say, you take two oxen, I take two oxen. We'll slice them up, put them on an altar, and 
if your God is real, then fire will come from heaven and will consume the altar. And then after you do whatever you're gonna do, I'll do the same. 450 men crying out, Baal, please, please make fire consume this place. Nothing. They start to cut themselves, which is their, their religious custom for Baal. Maybe if we do this, then maybe he'll hear our cry and our idol will come to the rescue. While they were doing that, Elijah started to talk trash and mock. How's it going over there? Can he hear you? Maybe he's on vacation. Let's give it another minute. Pray harder. He mocked him, and then he said, okay, now it's my turn. He didn't do this for his own name or for his own stature, but he did this because he wanted them to see just how great God is. This is something to remind us when we go through trials and tribulations, the different calamity that we find ourselves in. Sometimes it needs to look a little bit worse so that God can ultimately display his glory. Sometimes we've got to get to, the, to our backs against the wall where it's just one on 450. <laughs> Sometimes it's got to get ugly before it can look beautiful. Sometimes we've got to get to a place where we get crazy with our faith. God, it doesn't look good, but it seems like a setup because I know you. Matter of fact, I read my Bible so much, this is how you do what you do. So in the process, I'm just going to sit here and wait on the Lord. He said, I want you guys to fill four pitchers of water, and I want you to pour them on the altar. Now, you guys know, because we're smart here at Grace Covenant Church, that pouring water on an altar that you want to catch on fire doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But he said, if I want you to pour the water on there, and I want you to do it three times. Four pitchers full of water, three times, one altar. And in that moment, fire consumed the altar after he prayed. He said, God, paraphrase, answer my cry so that this people may know that you are the only God and that their heart would be turned back to you. How many times are we in calamity or in a situation where our, our heart's cry is, God, show up so that people will hear the story? so that they'll be drawn to you? Or do we want to just get out of the situation because we're uncomfortable? God, take this from me. God, fix my marriage because I don't want to look embarrassed in front of all my friends who were at my wedding. God, cleanse me. Help me. I'm, I'm sick. I want you to make me feel better because I want to feel better. How many times is our prayer, God, I know you're up to something. And this is the worst it's ever been. But I know that this story will draw all men that hear of it to your cross. And revival will spread. After all of that, an amazing moment. Jezebel, who was King Ahab's wife, the wicked wife. By the way, as, as I heard earlier today, Jezebel is not just for women. Every time in the church, a lot of times people say, oh, they, she got a Jezebel spirit. And some brothers got a Jezebel spirit too. <laughs> Spirits aren't gender specific. <laughs> Anybody can be wicked. Anybody. 
but everybody can be saved. <laughs> Jezebel comes for his life. Jezebel said, by tomorrow, you're going to die. Why? Because I don't like what you're doing. See, there's one thing, you know, church and state. Listen, this is getting a little too political, and now you're messing with my nation. Okay? I like what you did with God. It's cute. I actually believe he exists. But right now, you're messing with my territory. Elijah, after all of that, and being who he is, legendary, he says, man, I... I don't know what to do. My whole ministry was wrapped up into that one moment. I thought when God brought the fire down, it was all going to be great. Anybody ever got saved and thought everything was going to be great? Or you went to that one prayer night, you know, that one that you keep referring to. It's been 10 years. But when you went to that one prayer night, something changed on the inside of you and you just got filled and you'll never be the same. That moment was just a moment to a great God. So when he didn't see the fruit that he expected to see, he considered himself worthless, even to the point where he asked God, just kill me. How in the world could Elijah, the great Elijah, say, you know what? I'm worthless. But in this moment, Elijah went out. He fled. He went to Mount Sinai, a ridiculously far amount of miles to get away. He went to Mount Sinai because he knew, oh, that's where Moses met God. Sometimes we've got to retreat. And I'm not mad at him because I'm a retreater myself. Sometimes you've got to get into the right place with the right people, the right situation, so that you can be built back up. Elijah went to the place that was familiar to him, a place that he could go where he could hear from God. Now, he could have heard from God anywhere. Matter of fact, while he was there, God was trying to send him out. I understand that you're here, but it's time to go. I've got some things for you to do. But I don't want you to neglect in reading this that it's important for you to be rooted in community. Though community was not in that hill, we can take that into, into this account today, into our account today, and say, are you in a small group? When you feel broke down, who do you go to? Do you have anybody in your life that's discipling you? A person that, that wants to bring clarity, someone who's not just in it for their own personal gain or for them to stand up at a prayer meeting and say, well, I've been discipling five people, you know, and uh, been helping them out. Do you know anybody in your life that, that wants to know about you and they want you to win? They care about you? Anybody texting you saying, hey, I'm praying for you? You need to get into an atmosphere of security, faith, and worship. And when you go there, whether it's your small group, whether it's joining a ministry, whether it's joining a, joining a service team here at Grace or wherever you go, make sure that you stay rooted there. You'll always have a place to go back. Core values are so important. That's why businesses build themselves upon them. Teams build themselves upon them. Because it's always a place when you're down or when, you, when, when you're out, when you, when you feel like you can't go any further, you can always revert back to the core values, the why you do what you do and the how you do what you do. And when you find success and when you do all of the great things, you stay humble because you know why you do what you do and how you, do what you, you did what you did. So in that process, as he was there being ministered to by God, God speaks to him. 
and tells him this. He says, I've got three things, three last things for you to do. I want you to get three gentlemen, and I want them to take the reins and to continue advancing my kingdom. I want them to continue to move in power. But I'm only sending you to one, and that's Elisha. When you go find Elisha, I want you to place your mantle on him. I want you to give him all that you've got so that he can go out and he can fulfill your work for the next generation. He's going to be the next version of you. I love that there were three men that God commanded Elijah to pass these things on to or to deliver a message to. But he was only to go to one. And through that one, he was going to do the rest. So many of us, we try to do it all. God gave me a word. Pastor Brett was given a word years ago to win the city, but it wasn't for Pastor Brett to win the city. It was for him to do his part so that we could win the city. Many times you hear a word and you think that it's your word. It's God's word. He's allowing you to participate. So when you get involved, you say, okay, I'm building as far as I can. If I do my part, he does her part, she does her part, he does his part, she does her part, then we can advance the kingdom together because God's a God of unity. So God sent him on a search. The first point is to search. Elijah went out looking for the next. And when he went, he was filled up by having that time with God We've got to be filled. Listen, when we're going to disciple people, when we're bringing people into our lives, don't bring them into something that has nothing in it. You can't give what you don't have. Everybody's anxious to disciple people, but nobody's anxious to get up in the morning and get in their Bible. Everybody's excited to pray out loud. Let everybody know I can pray, but, but we're not praying in our own time. Don't get it twisted. It's not just for you to look good as a discipler. It's so that you can have something to deposit into the next person so that they can take that and run and put it into the next person and the next person. And from glory to glory, the kingdom is, is advanced. A, success, a successor was needed. And in the process, while Elijah is, walk, is, is, is riding his donkey to Elisha, I want, to, I want us to, before we, we talk about Elisha, because this is a great moment to see what God does through the generations, I want you to understand this because we all think this, well, could Elisha be what Elijah was? How in the world could he do all the things that Elijah did? Man, that's, that's got to be tough. Who in the world is going to help us out when Pastor Brett's on his sabbatical in February? Who in the world is going to pray? Who's going to lead? James 5, 16 through 17 says, the prayers of the righteous accomplish much. Elijah was just a man like us. So don't think for a second as you hear this story that there's someone out there that's this great spiritual giant that God has called before the foundations of the world to lead a people into a place where they're supposed to go and advance his kingdom that you're not supposed to be involved God doesn't call those who are already equipped. God equips those who he calls. Every nation, the ministry that we're a part of, it's our family. They have a church in Manila. And I've heard this story many times that their discipleship process in the 80s was 
They might still be this way today. As long as you're a chapter ahead of the next person, you can lead them. <laughs> read John chapter one. Hey, have you read chapter one? Because I just finished it. No, I haven't read it yet. Okay, let me disciple you. <laughs> well, I read chapter two. I'll read chapter one with you. I'll read it again. By the way, that's a great way to memorize scripture. I mean, the more people you disciple, the more time you read the scripture over and over. You should start doing that. You should put that in your note. Uh, <laughs> but the candidate was identified. Elijah heard, then he saw. We've got to hear from God. We've got to hear from God. Don't just do church. Don't just show up. We've got to hear from Almighty God. God, who are you sending me to? What are you equipping me for in this moment? What are you saying? What direction should I go? Show me the person that I need to speak to. Lord, not only that, I don't want to talk to that person until I pray for that person. Edify the people that you're, that you're to lead. And then selecting. Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. The reason why we disciple, we need to know why we do what we do. We disciple people so that they can be the mouthpiece of God, so that they can preach this gospel. Not only that they can preach it, but they can understand the gospel in their own lives. It's one thing to say, I know the gospel, and know the gospel is not just a genre of music. It's the good news that God came into the earth and lived the life that we should have lived, but we couldn't. And died the death that we deserve to die because Romans 6.23 says those wages deserve death. And he rose from the grave after being crucified for our sins. Offering salvation for all those who would repent and believe, turn away from their old life. If you say that you're a Christian or that you're a follower of Jesus or whatever you call it. But you can't pinpoint the point in your life where you see the gospel infiltrated you and changed you, shaped you and molded you into the new person then I question your faith. When did you come to know Jesus? Well, my mother was a deacon. When did you come to Jesus? Well, you know, I was raised in the church. But I'm asking, when did the power of God arrest you and change you where you started to look different, act different, talk different, think different? When did it happen? Elijah threw his mantle onto Elisha. The mantle is a representation of not only his accomplishments, but his authority. And we've been given authority by God to preach this gospel. So when you're discipling somebody, you're not just telling them about your accomplishments. And don't go out just trying to get discipled by the coolest person. <laughs> go, go get discipled by somebody who has the authority of Jesus Christ who has a desire to see the power of God move on a day-to-day -day basis, who's not about all the fluff. I'm telling you right now, we live in an age where fake uh, uh, attracts fake. Everybody can relate to it. We love fake. That's why we watch reality TV. Oh, hold on now. Wait a second. I'm not done. Hold on. <laughs> but we love that. So sometimes when we get in the presence of somebody who's really about it, 
oh, hold on. Uh, I don't want to join your small group. <laughs> Y'all are a little too real. <laughs> Y'all really love Jesus. <laughs> I was just trying to like come late and like hang out in the back of church and text and tweet and then leave, but take a picture before I leave. Let everybody know I went. Then go back and do my dirt. That's what I was planning on doing. Y'all talking about lordship, salvation, discipleship? Wait a second. What is that? Yeah, we're really about that life, as they say. So if you want to take it, if you want it, take it. That's what Elijah was saying to Elisha. If you want it, this is for you. He stood there and all that he knew to be true, his authority, his accomplishments, and said, this is for you, but it's for you to lose. So I ask you, what's in your mantle? <laughs> what's in your mantle? What do you have to give? If you throw something on somebody, are they going to start trying to get it off? <laughs> don't throw that mess on me. <laughs> I need Jesus. I don't want that. And whose mantle are you carrying? Are you carrying your pastors or are you carrying Jesus? Are you car carrying your small group leader or Jesus? Are you carrying your favorite celebrity or icon or are you carrying Jesus? Why discipleship? Why should we be discipled? This is my definition of discipleship. I just created it two days ago, so it's still in the beta form, but let's see how this goes. Discipleship is intentional fellowship with man or woman under the lordship of Christ to be who you are called to be and do what you are called to do. The intentional fellowship, intentional, that does not mean, hey, I'll see you on Wednesday night. Hey, are you going to the men's ministry? Yeah, I'm going to. It means I'm being intentional. I'm going to show up to your house when you don't feel like it. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to talk to you about some deep things that I can't talk about at small group. I want to go to a place where you might feel uncomfortable while I'm coming to you. But I want to be intentional about this fellowship. We're not fellowshipping just to drink coffee and to hang out. We're fellowshipping to build. And I need you to build in me Christ that was built in you so that I can have something to build into the next person. I learned this as a youngster, that clean clothes don't make clean people. <laughs> Play outside. My parents, we always had a function to go to growing up, and I just go in there, hey, look, I'm just clean my clothes, change my clothes, I'm good. I still stunk. Terrible. Clean clothes don't clean people. What does that mean? It's not the mantle or the man. It's the God in the man. I don't want to just be a decorated non-believer. I don't want to just come to church and, oh, let me raise my hands. Let me look good. Let me put the suit on. Let me do everything that I can outwardly. I remember I was that person. I showed up to church late sitting there just to kind of check it off. Hey, I made it, y'all. If I could, I'd come up to, to the front before Pastor Brett preached. Hey, everybody, I made it. Just wanted to let y'all know. All right, Pastor Brett, you go ahead, do your thing. I'm going to sit back here. That was the desire. It was to prove something. But how many of you guys know that you don't have to prove anything when you've already been approved? 
It's important to get the power of God on the inside of us. So Elisha, the disciple, he had a choice to make after catching that mantle. What are you going to do with it? You have everything to lose. Everything. Twelve oxen. This man was well off. In that day and age, oxen was not just any other animal. He had some substance and some finances behind him. An extreme amount of resources. So what he was doing on that field was on another level. There were people who cut the yards, and then there were people who owned John Deere. He owned a John Deere. He had a lot to lose because that would set him up. Could be that his father had built this whole thing for him and that he was going to take it to the next generation. And he was going to pass it down to his son, and they were going to have wealth and riches. As, 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 as the story would continue to unfold, they would be prosperous. But discipleship requires everything. You got to submit it all. You got to give it all. You got to say goodbye. Sometimes you got to say goodbye to the things that you hold dearest. I remember, and I want to share this story so we can kind of look at what, what the embodiment of discipleship is. I remember graduating from Oakton High School here in Vienna, going to the University of Virginia, and I received a full-ride scholarship to play football. And I grew up as a football brat, meaning my dad played in the NFL and I was a child that didn't know much about who I was or what I was supposed to do in life, but I said, hey, this life is sweet. So you gave me that? You give me an opportunity to play football myself? I feel like we made it, baby. We, we're good. I'm going to do the whole thing. I'm, I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm going to live a happy life, happily ever after. But then I got radically saved, radically saved. And I desired to preach the gospel more than I desired to play sports. But I play sports because I love sports, and I love the things that come from sports, like free athletic gear, free food, free books, and a big contract if you can make it to the NFL. I love those things, and I liked. I love those things. Still do. I'm working out my sanctification. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. He came from a wealthy story, a wealthy family. And my story is this. I grew up here in this house. And every one of these villagers that helped raise me, they all saw that there was a call in my life. I like to talk about Jesus a lot because I got filled with the Holy Spirit and my life was changed. I fell in love with Jesus. Pastor Brett says, read your Bible every day. For me, I say love to read your Bible every day. So then I, I, I was that kid, and, and, and even seeing the Lewis family here, I remember being in that, that park where you guys gave me a ride home. I don't even know if I knew y'all or y'all knew me, but y'all gave me a ride home. And while they were on the ride home, I kept saying, do y'all know Jesus? Grown folks, but I'm asking them. And y'all joined the church because of that, right? That's crazy. I was in seventh grade. Y'all got faith. But that's the kid I was. And Pastor Brett said, hey, I'm, I see something in you. Meet me at Starbucks at 7 in the morning. Uh, wait a second. Hold on. I was late a lot. One time I just slept in. I was, I'm so sorry. I don't think I said sorry, since, but sorry. One time I slept in, missed it. This man would drive to UVA from here because he saw something in me. He went out and searched. He selected and he searched. And from that place, he, he groomed me. 
Not to be a, a minister, to be up here. I didn't know, or maybe he did know, but I didn't know that I was going to be up here. He just wanted me to be the best version of me, the best Christian, so that we could advance the kingdom. He cared about the next generation. So in that process, while all of this is going in these meetings and this discipleship, this is a 10-year period. I think we just celebrated 10 years a couple months ago. Happy anniversary. <laughs> but during that period, I was excelling on the football field. God was giving me the, the, the work of my hands. Made it to the NFL, played two and a half years, and Pastor Brett asked me one time I got cut by the Cowboys. I came home, he said, hey, Jared, you want to go into ministry? I said, whoa, 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 hold on, no. Uh-uh, no, nope, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. All right, Jared, I'll call you tomorrow. No, don't, uh-uh. <laughs> he asked me that, and then I remember that weekend, the Oakland Raiders called me. They said, we've got a job for you. We're going to fly you to Oakland. And I said, oh, man, Pastor Brett had just met with me, I mean, like three days before, and said, Jared, nobody's calling. Come on. Come on. We need help at campus and outreach. Come on. Come on. And when I got that call from Oakland, I called him. Like, hey, Pastor Brett, they called. Uh, Two-year contract. I got to go. I went to Oakland, stayed there for a year. The second year, God woke me up in my sleep. He said, go to Acts chapter 6. I opened my Bible and I cried. <laughs> Acts chapter 6 is where, where the apostles are starting to, to divvy out the positions for people, what they're supposed to do. And in that process, they said, okay, you all pass out the food. You guys do the philanthropic work. You guys do the nine to five. We have to devote ourselves to the word and prayer. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, Jared, you've got plenty of friends in the league, and they're going to do these things, and you're going to minister to them, but I need you to go back and preach this gospel full time. I said, Lord, Jesus, I called Pastor Jim LaFoon, Jim Critcher, uh, Rice Brooks, uh, my dad, my wife, Pastor Brett. They all said the same thing. You're called. You're called. <laughs> but I sac sacrificed it. I was just on the cusp of that second contract. Ooh, let's just have a moment just to <laughs> soak that in. Millions, millions. I even found myself asking God, well, what if we just finish this contract out? <laughs> then we can do both. And I can, by myself, pay for the new building. <laughs> See, God, look what you're doing. I was trying to convince him. God, I know I'm called, but let's figure out the process of the calling. Let's work together. But it was sacrifice. Sacrifice. Not saying that I got an A-plus on that test, because when I came here and I found out that we have to send emails and respond and talk to people and be here all night with the fall festival and all these different things, <laughs> there was still a work going on in my heart. <laughs> it wasn't perfect for the job. He was perfecting me. But I was sealed. I was sealed with that commitment. Elisha went and killed his oxen and cooked them by using the plows as fuel. He was sealed. He went home and had a feast with the people. And that feast did two things. And I close with this. First, it was the finishing, the finishing of his former work. 
And I'm not saying everybody here should be called into full-time ministry because we really need you at these doctor's offices. We need you in these financial firms. We need you in these locker rooms. We need you in these college campuses. We need you out here so you can do the work of God. But as we come together, we all know that we're called to preach this gospel. But the first thing was to seal it. I'm finishing what I was doing. I'm going to the next place. The second thing was for others to witness what was going on on the inside of him. When I gave up everything regarding football, everybody, hold on, what in the world? I just saw on Facebook that you had signed with Oakland. What what are you doing? Jared, are you kidding me? Coaches, GM, agent. I got seven offers from seven different teams after I left Oakland to go into full-time ministry. Every Tuesday, I tell Pastor Brad, hey, Pastor Brad, another team called. (laughs) Pastor Brad would say this. (laughs) He said, what are you going to do? He he didn't know. He didn't know. I was crazy. (laughs) He didn't know. Pastor Brad, Houston Texans. When the Houston Texans call, oh, that's daddy's hometown. I don't know. We need the gospel in Houston. (laughs) But in that moment, it was sealed, and the people around me saw. And it's been a testimony for my life for the last three years of what happens when when a man chooses to follow in, in, in the calling of God on his life. So I want to challenge you. Close with this challenge. I want to challenge you to disciple somebody with all that God has put in on the inside of you. Find somebody. Build up the next generation. Build up that coworker that keeps on asking you those spiritual questions. It's time now. Build that neighbor who, who you keep on serving and loving and your kids are friends and they keep saying, man, I don't know why you guys are so nice. The time is now. Build. And then I also want to ask you this, for you to find somebody to build up under, submit, sacrifice. I don't care if they're younger than you. I don't care if, if they seem like they're not as cool as you or they don't have all the right words. Find somebody who can challenge you and they can pull it out of you. I'm privileged to be somebody that Pastor Brett pulled and tugged and yanked stuff out of. He helped me see my calling. But in the same vein, I'm able to pull and yank on the next next young man. And as we continue to do that, generation after generation, we'll start seeing the church grow and thrive, not just survive in this day and age. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your power. Thank you so much for your grace and your authority. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that has empowered us and allowed us not just to be like you and to believe in you, but to make disciples for you.